It was the day after Christmas several years ago at a church in San Francisco. The pastor of the church was looking over the creche when he noticed that the baby Jesus was missing from the manger scene. He hurried outside to see if he could find out what happened, and he noticed a little boy with a red wagon, and in the red wagon was the figure of baby Jesus. So he compassionately walked up to the little boy and said, Well, where did you get your passenger, my fine man? And the little boy replied, Honestly, I got it from the church. And why did you take him? The boy replied, well, about a week before Christmas, I prayed to the Lord Jesus, and I promised him if he would bring me a red wagon for Christmas, I would take him for a ride around the block in it. (laughs) I thought in a campaign year, it was nice to hear a story where a promise is kept. Most of us are experienced enough to know that no candidate is going to be is going to keep every promise that he or she makes along the campaign trail. Promises are broken regularly in politics, in business, even in some families. But we hope for more from God. And our scriptures today show us an unbroken promise. That chapter 9 of Isaiah begins with an oracle of hope for the people of Israel. They were under Assyrian power. They were under a weak Israelite king. And life was not bright. It was dark and gloomy. And into this darkness would come God's glorious light with a new king, a benevolent king like David, one who would shatter the darkness with light and bring them back to peace and prosperity. Scholar Walter Brueggemann comments that because this oracle has been taken over by the church, the Christian church, and read Christologically, that is, applying to Christ Christologically, this same contrast can be understood as the one between what we know as B.C. and A.D., or before the Common Era and the Common Era. That's a turning point in history. And Brueggemann continues, so that it is the coming of Christ that marks the decisive turn toward well-being. Now, chapter 4 of Matthew expresses this fulfillment by announcing Jesus' movement into Galilee, Galilee of the Gentiles, one person noted. The fact that here at the beginning of Matthew, we see uh, an allusion to Jesus talking to the Gentiles, those who are not Jewish. And then all during the book, he's with the Jews. But then at the end of Matthew, chapter 28, he's saying, go into all the world. So we've got some foreshadowing here. Matthew quotes Isaiah 9 to make sure we understand what is really happening here. That the promise from seven or eight centuries ago was now being fulfilled. That a light would be coming into their darkness. The people who sat in darkness have seen have seen a great light. And for those who sat in the region in shadow of death, 
Light has dawned. You perceive that turning point there? The coming of Christ, the long-awaited anointed one, is the pivot on which our history turns. At our house, we have one of those cheap torsier lights, and this one has two stops on it, two clicks. Now, the first click will give some light to a dark room, but the second click is really bright so that it brightens not only that room, but even spreads out into the rooms around it. Now, I say that because I think John the Baptist is the first click. He has come bringing some light. He is preaching repentance through baptism. Repent, for the kingdom of God has come near, or is coming near. John says that in chapter 3 of Matthew. Jesus uses the exact same sentence in chapter 4 of Matthew. Now, this is a turning point for Jesus too. When he heard that John had when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. And then that's where he began proclaiming this need to repent with those same words that John used. It appears to be John's imprisonment his lack of being able to preach repentance that Jesus uses as the kickstart for his own ministry. Repent. Turn around. Don't follow the same ones you've been following before. Don't follow yourself. Follow God. Follow Jesus and go God's way. Now, I know you, like me, have found that at certain times in your life we discover that there are a different set of rules that we need to follow. When we take on a new job, we learn the rules of the company or the rules of that position. When we visit a different state, we see signs once we cross the border that say you have to have your headlights on while driving in the rain or whatever it would be. That's ours too. But they might have different laws that we have in Virginia, we have to learn them. When we get involved in a relationship with another person where each comes from a different background, we have to learn new rules because we have different tastes, we have different habits, different traditions, so we learn new rules. Now, I did find a a long list that I've significantly curtailed, but if you want the longer one, ladies... Um, I will get it to you. Just ask me. But these are some rules that Cheryl Lavin set forth um, that guys wish girls would follow. Ask for what you want. Subtle hints don't work. Strong hints don't work. Really obvious hints don't work. Just say it. That's one. Yes and no are perfectly acceptable answers to every question. Almost every question. Here's another rule that guys wish girls knew. Come to us with a problem only if you want help solving it. That's what we do. Sympathy is what girlfriends are for. (laughs) 
If something can be interpreted in two ways and one of the ways makes you sad and angry, we meant the other one. (laughs) We're not mind readers and never will be. Our lack of mind reading ability is not proof of how little we care about you. I thought those were could be instructive, but those are a new set of rules. Girls don't learn those from their moms, guys, so teach us. In any relationship, adjustments to lifestyles and ways of thinking need to shift. And if we're going to be in a real and growing relationship with Jesus, there are shifts that we need to make as well. Through our gospel passage, we remember a dramatic shift that four men took in our gospel story. Jesus told two pair of fishermen to leave their nets behind and follow him. Now, what kind of an air of authority did he have for them to immediately put down their nets or get out of the boat and leave behind their livelihood, their families, to follow him. It must have been pretty obvious that he was an amazing person and worth following. Now, can you think of anyone to whom you would give that kind of authority? Maybe people who can punish us if we disobey, like a judge or a police officer or our mothers. But we don't give authority to people very willingly. We have to vet them first. We have to check them out, see if their resumes match who they seem to be, see what their motivations are, see if they're going away we want to go. Respect for authority has to be earned, usually. Now, there was a man who found himself thrown into a situation where he had to trust people he didn't know The man's name was Robert Kupferschmidt. At age 81, he was a passenger in a plane with his friend, pilot Wesley Sickle. And they were flying in a little Cessna from Indianapolis to Muncie when the pilot all of a sudden slumped over the controls and had died. And so here was Robert, unable to fly a plane, but needing to as the plane took a nosedive. He had seen how to, uh, to call for help, and so he did. He got on the radio and pleaded for help. Well, luckily, there were two pilots nearby who came in and got one got on one wing and one got on the other, and they talked him through everything he needed to know to climbing again and to steering, and then, of course, the scariest part, landing. Well, these two pilots circled the runway three times with him before Robert was ready to attempt this landing. Emergency vehicles were called out, ready for what looked like it was going to be a disaster. And witnesses said that the plane's nose nose nudged the center line and bounced a few times before the tail hit the ground. And it ended up in a patch of soggy ground next to the runway, and Robert was not injured. 
Now, this man was not an experienced pilot, obviously. He just had to listen to and follow the instructions as if his life depended on it. Because, obviously, it did. It did. So imagine, then, what would take place in the lives of believers like us if we listened to and obeyed Jesus with the same earnestness as this man, this 81-year-old man, flying a Cessna for the first time in his life. Imagine what it would be like for us to be as willing to listen to those instructions and to follow those instructions as was that pilot, as were the disciples that laid down their nets by the Sea of Galilee. What would it be like? Back when the telegraph was the fastest means of long-distance communication, there was a story, perhaps apocryphal, about a young man who applied for a job as a Morse code operator. Answering an ad in the newspaper, he went to the address that was listed, and when he arrived, he entered a large, noisy office, and in The background, among that noise, was a telegraph clicking away. There was a sign on the receptionist's counter that said, inviting applicants to fill out an application and wait until they were summoned to enter the inner office. So this young man goes in and he completes his form and he sits down with seven other people who were also waiting applicants. After a few minutes, this younger man stood up and he crossed the room to the door of the inner office and walked right in. Well, naturally, the other applicants were, you know, muttering about themselves because they hadn't heard any summons to the inner office. And they took more than a little satisfaction in talking about that how he was really going to get, you know, yelled at by whoever was inside for being so presumptuous and would obviously be disqualified from getting the job. Well, within a few minutes, this same young man emerged from that inner office, escorted by the interviewer, who announced to the other applicants, gentlemen, thank you very much for coming, but the job has been filled by this young man. Well, they began first grumbling to each other, and then one spoke to the interviewer and said, wait, I don't understand this. He was the last one to come in. We never even got an interview, yet he got the job. That's not fair. And the employer said, I'm sorry, but all the time you've been sitting here, the telegraph has been ticking out the following message in Morse code. If you understand this message, then come right in. The job is yours. None of you heard it or understood it. This man did, so the job is his. Well, I think sometimes the voice of God can be like that, you know, telegraph clattering in the background. I thought earlier I should have had some help in getting that as a sound effect. I know a few people in here who could have done that. But, um, you know, we, we hear all this noise around us. We have the sounds of televisions and radios, the sounds of iPods, the sounds of uh, sports announcers maybe. These are all much louder 
And they beckon us to sit down in front of the television. And they beckon us to the sidelines of an athletic event. And they beckon us to the computer to download more music. And so that's where we land. But is that where we want to stay? Do we really want to give those voices more authority than we give Jesus? You know, it really was a long time between Isaiah's oracle and the fulfillment that Jesus offered to that promise. Sometimes it seems to take forever to see that God hears our prayers for guidance, for guidance and hope and strength. And yet the promises remain and the fulfillment will come when we need it. We, we need to trust that. I need to trust that, I should say, and assume, therefore, that maybe some of you do as well. There was a group of girls on a picnic in Washington State's Cascade Range who took a wrong path. And after spending a terrifying night in the high country, they were wandering, cold and wet, and becoming more and more hopeless. Some of them were convinced they would never be found and that they would die out there in the mountains. There was an 11-year-old girl with them, Evanel Town, and she stepped forward and she said, I'm not going to die. She remembered being told that if you follow a little stream, it empties into a bigger stream and finally you come to a town. And so she led the girls back to a stream that they had seen earlier. And they followed it for more than five hours until they finally began to hear voices. And then the girls began shouting and the rescue team was able to locate them. Well, whenever we're feeling distant from God, from Jesus, we can start by following a small stream. Say, reading a chapter in the gospel each day. As we learn something more about Jesus then it's as if that empties into a larger and deeper stream. And we discover that we have followed him to a greater sense of God's presence and guidance, a greater sense of God's wisdom in knowing what to do and how to handle situations, a greater sense of God's hope in knowing that the promises will be fulfilled and God's peace and patience as we wait that fulfillment. Let's pray and ask for God's help. God, you are the Holy One who has created us with a desire to not be stagnant, but to grow. We pray that you would help us to focus that desire for growth on you, on becoming better people for the sake of Jesus and for your kingdom. We pray then for that boldness, O God, that he had to invite others to follow him. 
And we ask that you would give us boldness so that we might invite others to follow you as well. Thank you, God, for keeping your promises. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.